as a skier, the thought that kept running through my head was, because everyone was saying, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. And I would think, but I had never articulated this, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? And I would say that, and when I, like, when I share that, that kind of thought that I carried with me for so long, there's a visceral change in so many people in the audience where they just sit back and slump. And so I know when I see that, it's almost like they go deep, deep, and they realize that something in their life, that sentence described exactly what they're either going through or went through that shaped who they are becoming or became. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former proud equity analyst, now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jiu-jitsu, and endurance athletics. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Tony Blauer, Tony has been in the martial art, self-defense, defensive tactics, and combatives industry for over four decades. He founded Blauer Tactical Systems in 1985, and it has grown into one of the world's leading consulting companies specializing in the research and development of performance psychology, personal safety, and close-quarter tactics and scenario-based training for law enforcement, military, and professional self-defense instructors. His research on the neuroscience of fear and the startle flinch led to the development of the SPEAR system, a modern personal defense system based on physiology, physics, and psychology. It has been used by defensive tactics and combative trainers all over the world for over 30 years. After decades of interviewing victims of violent encounters and studying violence, he created the No Fear program, which focuses on managing fear through self-awareness, resiliency, and a movement mindset. This program has also been integrated by psychologists helping vets deal with PTSD. In part one of my interview with Tony, we define fear and Tony's personal journey in dealing with fear over the years. We unravel his origin story, get into scenario-based self-defense training a bit, and set the stage for part two, where we'll dive deeper into the fear management and self-defense systems he's created. And so, without further ado, my interview with Tony Blauer. Um, I gotta say, man, your freaking questions are amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to it, but I have no idea how I will answer that in, um, in, in the time <laughs> allotted, just cause, I mean, you've heard me talk before. I yeah. get, I get so impassioned and, 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 and detailed on stuff, but I'm going to do my best on this. I was really like, like a lot of people send me questions. I get good questions, mm-hmm. but, um, as like reading yours going like, like, wow, I, like, I want this to be like a three hour podcast. <laughs> I want this. We might have to do a part two or something. I don't know. Definitely. Uh, but, uh, cause it's, it's, um, I had, I had so many memories, really good job, man. Really impressed with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to try to go deep with my guests. So yeah. Uh, excellent. Cool. Um, well, Tony, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, Dude, like I, like I said, I don't know if you're going to keep that little preamble in there, uh, in the in the final edit. If it just stays in there, then uh, I, I think I'm more looking forward to this than you are. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, so 
I guess, you know, as one of the leading foremost experts in fear management, like how do you define fear and what's been your personal journey in dealing with fear over the years? So, um, because of, because of what I do, the totality, like the holistic approach to fear, um, there's different, there's of course the academic, you know, fears and emotion, you know, and I, like that's available to everybody or, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah, fear is a uh, emotional psychological state of arousal that blah, 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 blah. I don't even memorize those things. I'm going to talk about them because the only fear there's two fears related to personal defense from a holistic pers uh, uh, perspective. The number one fear is when your body's intuition starts whispering in your ear. And something we talk about in the No Fear Seminar. And what I mean by whispering in your ear is like, we've all had, and I'm sure you had, times where something happened. And then afterwards, you turned to somebody or said to yourself, man, I knew that was going to happen. And right, right? you've had that. Every, everyone's had that. So that's our intuition talking to us. But cognitive dissonance and a whole bunch of other, you know, peer pressure or, or fear actually shuts it down because we don't want you know, and I'm trying to keep these answers short because you got so many good questions. So to me, when somebody asked me, what is fear? Uh, when I, if you asked me that when I was 10, I might say, oh, I'm afraid of the wrestling meet coming up on Saturday. Oh, I'm afraid uh, my mom's going to yell at me. I'm afraid to go to school. We're starting like I'm going to a new school. Here I am, you know, 50, <laughs> 51 years later, it's, it's, it's a, it's a much bigger answer. So there's from the self-defense perspective, there's the fear when your instinct says there's something wrong here. Uh, and then there's the, in terms of self-actualization, just getting through life, there's the, the much more major, more significant fear is, is the fear that we're not on the right path. We're not right with the right person. Or we're not telling that we're not being, uh, 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 truthful with ourselves or having integrity in the way we live and that's the intuition whispering in our ear okay um and uh those are you know those are the two big ones but i i define fear in a unique way i just say it's false and it's an acronym i heard years ago but i've expanded it and, and, and it's false expectations appearing real it's when we're visualizing a future event that is immobilizing us or debilitating us in the present. I'll say that again, because it's kind of heavy. Simple, false expectations appearing real. I'm visualizing something in the future. It could be, should I get married? Should I get divorced? Should I start a job? Should I defend myself? It could be, it could be like two seconds in the future. Oh no, this guy's going to kick my ass. Then fear that, that, and I, and I, if, if we had a whiteboard, I'd write this out because it's a fun little play of words. Fear interferes, spelled <laughs> inter F E A R, with what we need to do next. So false expectations are very real, and it's like a movie in your mind that starts to play that kind of changes the course of your next minute, day, or life. Interesting. So, so that's interesting. Let's say like you're in like a very like heated confrontation where like you've just got like tunnel vision, and it's just so you can't be anywhere else except for in the present. I guess like the false expectations for me, like in sort of that sort of situation, I guess a little confusing. If that makes sense. Are, yeah. So, so to be clear, so I answer as clearly as possible. You're saying you're in a situation, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you're navigating it, but you're still dreading what could happen, but you're, 
it, it, it could be a fight. It could be a business deal. It could be like, oh man, this, this better work. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're in it. You're in it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, so this is a very interesting and subtle thing and, and probably one of the, the most uh, potent reframes I do when I'm coaching and mentoring uh, anybody from a fighter to a business an entrepreneur to, to, you know, I was just doing something with, with, with a dad who was going, who wanted to mentor his son properly, his 10 year old son having tremendous anxiety with everything going on in the world. I mean, you imagine like when we were, you and I were 10, we didn't talk about, you know, tremendous anxiety, you know, like it's just the, the shit going on that, that, and here's this dad and, and dude, you know, we were talking yesterday, he had tears in his eyes um, as a father and, but it was tears of joy and gratitude because he felt like he had language that he could share with his kid. And here's what I told him that you can't be brave if you're not afraid and you need to impart that on your son, that it's okay to have fear, but when you know what you need to do, you do it with the fear, fear becomes that companion. And that's why we tell people when you change, when you change that definition and understanding, you actually can change your life literally as dramatic as that sounds, change your relationship with fear, you literally change your life. And when people hear that, those who are really afraid or suffer with some sort of non-clinical anxiety, they're just like uptight about stuff. They don't want that answer. And that's the irony is they want, so I'm going to pay you and this is going to go away, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not a hypnotist. What I'm giving people is are, are those tools. So to answer your question right. more black and white is I go, hey, Chase, you're in a fight right now. And you're in there and you got tunnel vision, you got auditory exclusion and you're like, and you're in there and you're fighting, but you're, you also at the same time, you're wondering if you're going to live through this. As okay. long as you're fighting, as long as you're fighting, I'm being very dramatic. Yeah. As long as you're fighting what you're doing, and I want you to listen to this in your audience, what you're doing is you're managing your fear. And that's what fear management is. Everyone forgets that. It's fear management. It's not fear no more. And that's, and you know, I'm going to, because I know a couple of your questions, my brain is jumping to yeah, you know, what's yeah. the difference between no fear and K and W fear and all that stuff. But okay. Keep me on track. I hope that, did that help? That did. No, that, yeah, that was perfect. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I guess just learning like a bit more about you, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for work and all of that? Um, I grew up in Montreal, Canada. Uh, I'm an American citizen now. I live on the West Coast. And um, uh, my parents, my my mom was, you know, I grew up in the 60s. So my dad like went to work seven days a week, you know, pretty much. Uh, he was in the um, family business, uh, clothing, ladies clothing, import, export. I ended up going to work for him for several years. Um, my mom was in, in the 60s. You were pretty much like the stay-at-home mom. Like it was like literally that, you know. Kind of like like if when I saw movies of that era, I was like, yeah, that's like they had the must have the camera in my house. It was like you, yeah. you know you come into your room and it would be you know fifteen women sitting in our living room smoking cigarettes because someone probably some doctor had endorsed you know Camel cigarettes. They're good, right? You know, like it was like like out of that that kind of era. It was almost even though things were colored, it almost felt like it was black and white. Um, that's how old I am, and so. Um, I grew up, uh, I grew up there and my mom eventually became like an interior designer. She really, really good. Got, and still does it to this day. She's in her eighties. 
and uh, grew up. They were both uh, uh, avid skiers and part of the Canadian Ski Patrol uh, at a national level. So they were, um, I grew up on skis. I was, you know, uh, competed in freestyle and downhill. And that was my first, okay. you know, I, was ma- I make a joke. Like if you're from Canada, you're either a skier or a skater. I, I was a mm-hmm. skier. So. Okay. Interesting. And then in a video I watched in one of your websites, you mentioned how you grew up with a lot, you grew up with a lot of fear, like mainly around uh, being, getting beaten up. So like where you picked on a lot as a kid and what was no, your that's, And that's the weird thing because I grew up in like in a suburban area. Uh, you know, we, you know, we, lived on one of those men uh, like looking at, at the things going around the world uh, these days I think back to to you know there were no cell phones there were rotary phones you know, and all, like all the kids we knew everybody on the block and you know we'd we'd be outside it was a really I had a really good childhood but I was obsessed with any tv show that had any fighting in it I was like like TV show, TV show fight. Hmm. And then I'd be like, what the fuck? Uh, you know, and I'm going to name shows that your listeners, unless they're my age, have no clue. Streets of San Francisco and Mannix and all these, you know, in the, in the 60s, there were all these like, you know, action TV shows with the most horrible fight choreography. <laughs> but I was like drawn in. And so Bruce Lee and the Green Hornet, that sure. was in the 60s mesmerized by batman and, and the, like you know, even you know and you remember how like lame the fighting was but i was blown away by that to the point where like if i was out i would i'd be there like okay i wonder what would i do if someone was hiding behind that door like and always thinking about that stuff if in other podcasts and stuff that you might have heard me talking about always growing up with fear that is a true statement um i was always afraid of getting in trouble at home. Uh, what is it garbage day? Do I have to, do? but it was like, who cares? Like your mother, or your father will say, take the garbage out. But I was always had this, like, like this, like trepidation of like, I hope I don't fuck this up. I can remember being scared, learning how to tell the time as a kid. I mean, how are you three, four? Like uh, the big hand is like, my, like, just mm. like, um, and I, I was a very, uh, uh, I was a good athlete. I was all around. I played every single sport that, that, you know, in Canada, we didn't have as many sports uh, as, as in the States. They didn't promote it that way, but I played all these sports and, um, and I was afraid playing sport. I never enjoyed the competition. I enjoyed the camaraderie. I enjoyed being picked. I enjoyed making plays and didn't matter if it was football or baseball or wrestling or whatever. And so I, I loved the practice and I was, I wasn't last and I wasn't the water boy, not making fun of whoever gets picked last or water boy. I mean, people knew I was a good athlete and I made good, but they didn't know what was going on inside my head, Chase. So I'd okay. be there. I, I remember one fight. We almost had, it was almost like warriors come out and play. You remember the movie warriors, right? Uh, have you ever seen that? I know I haven't. Warriors. No. Okay. There's a, there's a, um, a, like a famous, you know, gang movie called, uh, uh, I think it's called Warriors or the Warriors. But um, I remember we, we were like maybe 14 and a half, 15 years old. And uh, a group of 16, 17 year old kids came. And there's a big difference in size when you're 14 and 16 and 17. And these guys came and we were playing like a pickup game at, at the park. And these guys came and said, 
hey, we're playing now, get off the field. And one of my friends went, hey, man, it's first come, first serve here. We were here first. Yeah, well, we're going to kick your fucking ass. Can I swear on your show too late? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, and it was like, all of a sudden, it was like, you know, like eight guys who are much bigger and everyone's got baseball bats and gloves. And I'm standing there freaking so nervous. I'm going to stand up because what I was doing, I don't have a bat here, but I'll grab my PVC. Um, and I'm standing there like this, so fucking nervous, dude. And I'm afraid to make eye contact and I'm freaking out. I'm going, Oh man, Holy shit. Like, like these guys are going to kill us. Right. And I'm kicking, I start to kick my back cause I'm nervous. And I'm kicking my bat. I'm looking down. I'm just kicking my bat, not making kind of like peripheral vision. And then I kicked it too hard from nervousness, and it kicked and it spun in my hand like a like this. And I caught it again, and I kicked it again. It was just like it was just a fucking nervous reaction, if you can visualize that. And then one of the guys says to his buddy, he looks at me and he says, "Let's get the fuck out of here." And I, can, I knew when he was looking at me, he thought I was getting ready to fucking crack somebody over the head. I knew he had missed. And he's still like, he gestured like, like there was like that. You just knew, right? Uh -huh. And I realized and it was weird because if they had walked up to me and said, you, I'd have gone, what, what me? Like I was so scared, uh, but I wasn't running and I wasn't leaving and I was going to fight if we got into a fight. Yeah, I'm just illustrating that that a lot of times in life, this is this is my fascination with coaching people on fear now, is a lot of times in life because fear is such a bad rap, especially if you're an alpha, right? And that could be male or female. There's somebody who's like, got that that I'm going to make something of my life type thing. That when we entertain these thoughts of fear, we feel like like some sort of we're sabotaging ourselves or we're disingenuous or um, what's the cycle babble turn imposter syndrome, you know, shit like that. Uh, I'm not a big fan of all that stuff, but, but it's really just getting clear. It's, 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 it's almost like what meditation's about is just understanding that, that your brain or your mind is going to have its own conversation and you need to notice it. And somehow like reading tea leaves, figure out what the fuck's going on. Okay. Interesting. It sounds like you also probably dealt with a lot of anxiety too growing up. And no, probably, no? isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? I, I mean, I, I, uh, um, not at all. Interesting. Uh, okay. It's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It was a, it was like, I was functionally fearful. <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I did, but it, it, it's, it's this example. And I think it's, I tell this story during our seminar and I'll, I'll abbreviate it. Cause it's kind of long. So I grew up competitively skiing and I remember being at the top of this, this, um, uh, hill above the tree line. So there's like, it's freaking howling wind freezing. It's a famous race, uh, in, in the Laurentian zone. And, and, um, and I was considered like, like such a good skier that I would hear people go like, it, like, is Tony going to continue his competition? Is he going to try and get to the Olympics? And I'd be like, what are they talking? Like, cause I never felt like I was that good. And at the same time, I would do things when I was in flow state, like a skiing where I'd go, wow, holy shit. Um, but I'm at the top of the hill and my coach comes up to me and he says, how do you feel kid? 
And I'd already pissed five times. I wanted the projectile vomit. I was so scared for this race. It was a big, big giant slalom race. And he, I said, great coach. And that's, and in that, I think that is the, that part of the story, there's a part two that I want to share with you. But I think that, that white lie is consistent with most of the people on the planet earth. You've heard of that place, planet earth, where, where I come in the room and you're sitting there and I could see, cause body language is 60% of communication that let's say you're really burdened by a thought, by something going on in your life or your day. And I go, Hey dude, and you look up. And then when you see who it is, that at a non-conscious level changes the answer, right? Yeah. Uh, if I'm your therapist and you trust me, I go, Chase, what's going on? You go, well, I got this dilemma, right? But if it's like somebody else in your peer group, I go, Chase, what's up? And you go, what? Nothing, man. You sure you're okay? I mean, how many times have you, we, and we just lie to people. Like <laughs> I've been married for 26 years. I know when my wife is burdened by something. I go, hey, babe, what's up? Nothing. You sure? Nothing. Leave me alone. I'm fine. You know, like, wow, okay. I'll, and I like, you know, we're, we've been together so long. I go, I guess we'll find out it's Tuesday. I guess you'll let me know Thursday or Friday. Right. So, you know, it's like, it's just, and, and the trick on this and the goal of understanding how to manage fear is to improve self-awareness because self-awareness is the gateway to situational awareness. If you are right. not self, if you yeah, if you're not self-aware, you can't go. And this applies to self-defense too. It's really fascinating. You're like, if, if, you know, but, but the, this, the ski story, the, 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 the metaphor there is we very often will say to somebody who asks us, do you need help? No, I don't. When we do, um, we don't know how to articulate it. And part of that is because we're taught irrelevant shit in school, as opposed to how do we cultivate self-awareness? How do we communicate deeply and honestly? How do we self-actualize? You know, how do we manage fear? Um, I should get this letter. It's in my office that this 10-year-old kid sent me and read it to you. It's mind, it's mind-boggling. I have no problem reading it, reading it here. I got uh, um, permission from his dad. But it's the point being is mm -hmm. here's a 10-year-old kid that is getting a, a, a program for the brain on how to manage fear at the age of 10, where after I spent decades putting this together, I had that kind of realization, like, why the fuck? Imagine how different elementary school would have been, high school, right? What am I going to be going to college? Like all of the fears we carry that have nothing to do with is this guy going to punch me in the face, right? It's not, it's not, so there's a, the, the holistic element of our system is this idea that um, true self-defense is, is there's mental self-defense, there's emotional self-defense. It's protecting yourself from your own thoughts. It's protecting yourself from, from, you know, verbal, emotional abuse. And I'm talking about bullying. I'm just talking about that's not right. How do, how do I have the self-awareness to, articulate that and then and then assert myself in an intelligent way and that right. to me is that is true self-defense not just you know a lot of us in the martial arts world we think of purely self-defense as like a physical altercation that you gotta fix with your hands mm -hmm. yeah so, yeah 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 i love but, that you but, start with the the, the self-awareness piece and, too I think. And, 
and 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 just uh, just want to in, in, inject this here. It's it got to the point now that when people work with me, well, we do seminars and stuff. We start with the no fear. We we tell them that look, I can show you the coolest self defense move. But if you're too afraid to apply, it doesn't matter how cool it was. So we have, we have a motto in our in our hand to hand classes: if you're scared shitless, unconscious, or dead, you're not going to get to your next move. So who cares? Like at the end of the day, the mind navigates the body, and when we understand that, we become we become better humans. And I just want to share this thought. It occurred to me when I was, um, again, it took years to put the program together, decades literally. There's this one thought that when I say this, you could literally see the energy change in the audience. Like it's almost like, like this weight of this, this, this self-imposed, you know, weight has been lifted in the audience where I say, as a skier, the thought that kept running through my head was because everyone was saying, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. And I would think, but I had never articulated this. If I'm so good, why am I so scared? And I would say that. And when I, like, when I share that, that, that kind of thought that I carried with me for so long, you, there's a visceral change in so many people in the audience where they just sit back and slump. And so I know when I see that, it's almost like they go deep, deep, and they realize that something in their life, that sentence described exactly what they're either going through or went through that shaped who they are becoming or became. Right. It's pretty fucking heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That's super, super interesting. And like what I was, was going to say before is just, I love how you start with the, the self-awareness piece first, where, cause I think like, if we're going to improve anything to do with yourself you have to kind of recognize what those things are that you have to improve on right or else you're just kind of willy-nilly and trying to kind of trying to work on something yeah i mean it's all the cliches of of you know the sailor you know stories like like if you don't know where you're going like it doesn't matter that you got wind right or whatever the hell. Like right you've got to you got to you got to kind of like be navigating i sure botched that one but you get the idea mm-hmm. you know it's uh there's there's a classic one about that 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 escapes me right now but um you know uh you 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 sort of want to know but you i'm i'm a little bit more metaphysical about that because you it's like I said earlier, if you'd asked me, what are you afraid of when you're 10? I'd have given you like six things. If you said to me now, Tony, now, what are you afraid of right now? You know, I'm uh, like, I'm like, I'll say something like the direction the world's headed and I've got kids, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> like, like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's so, it it's so different. So your, your fears, this is interesting. Your fears, in terms of labeling them, change like every year, every decade, every every phase, iteration of your of your self actualization. Mm-hmm. But the neural circuitry of fear doesn't change. It's still false expectations appearing real. It's still I'm up at bat going, don't strike out, don't strike out, because I'm visualizing striking out and the team going, ah, oh, Tony. 
we could have won, but you lost the game for us, right? Mm -hmm. And now if I'm sitting here, I'm going, wow, it's a beautiful day, but wait a minute. In 20 years from now, the world's going to look like this and my kids are going to, right? I'm visualizing something in the future that's ruining my day. So the neural circuitry of fear and differentiating between the psychology of fear mm -hmm. and the physiology of fear is really uh, part of what our work is about. Right, right. And, and also, I'm sure having the ability to recognize when those thoughts are coming into your mind and having that self-awareness. That's the self-awareness part. Exactly. That's the yeah. self-awareness part. Yeah. Yeah. Like, be like, oh, that's, I guess, the, the fear starting or the fear loop beginning to start. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you literally, like, you, 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 could, you could be here and like at any point before the podcast, were you thinking, I wonder if Tony's going to be a jerk? I wonder if, how <laughs> are we going to, did you have any negative thoughts at all? Um, Is he going to be on time? Is yeah, the, uh, actually, yeah. I was wondering if you're going to be on time. <laughs> you know, but like something as, as, as silly as that. Yeah. Not as silly as that, but, but something like that where you're sitting there getting ready and then you start a little movie. I wonder if he's going to be on time. If he's not on time, I wonder, you know, and yep. you, you, and I, I try to use real time examples when we're doing stuff. So the people listening, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, driving your car and uh, you're on your way to a meeting and you suddenly you're in wicked traffic that you didn't anticipate or plan your brain immediately goes, oh, shit, I'm going to be late for this meeting. And if it's an important meeting and you're not the person running the meeting, your brain starts a, like, like a cascade of thoughts create a movie in your mind. And now you're distracted a little bit from driving. Your physiology is changing, suddenly getting in a bad mood. You're, you're, you dial the number, you miss dial, you're like, fuck, right? And then you're like, instead of, instead of calling somebody up, and saying, hey, I'm running late, I ran into some traffic. You're like, hey, is anybody there yet? Like, hey, listen, let them know. And, and it's recognizing, holy shit, that all started because I couldn't control the fear loop. Right. I've now, uh, and, 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 and part of the fear loop, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but part of the fear loop is that is the, <clears throat> it's the production of a, an emotional movie like a horror film where you've cast yourself as the star in a horror film. Right. And, and it just, and it can go, it can be a minute. It can be, and I'll give you an example as a dad, I got two girls, I got a boy. There's times where, um, and this happens like, so I've been teaching this stuff since the eighties. So you would think, and this is a really good concept to, to, to sink your teeth into. You would think, oh, Tony's a fear management expert. He must have no fear. No, I have fear every day as a human. What I do is I, I manage fear every day. And so it's like, oh, this is great. Like I always make this joke that, you know, nobody gets up in the morning and goes, you know, the last three days have been like blissful and serene. I hope something fucking catastrophic happens today so I can practice my fear management. Like, you don't, you don't think that you just want to be happy. We just want to be happy. Right. We want to get through life and, you know, I want to get back to normal. I want things to be less stressful. I want to like, that's what we think about. You got to catch yourself living in the future and be more Zen about it. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go through this. So even me with all the tools I have, you know, uh, I was just, I was just away in Vegas. My daughter was born on nine 11. 
And she wants, wanted to go to Vegas, she's 24. She wanted to go to Vegas and she wanted her parents to come. And I'm like, I don't want to be in a tower on 9-11 in Las Vegas on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, especially after what just happened in Afghanistan, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just, I'm a security guy. Am I paranoid? No, but it's my business to think about pre-contact cues and potential right. threats. And, what I'm gonna do. and I go, I don't want to be spread out in Vegas, uh, a place that, that would clearly be a target city if something was going to happen. It's because it's easy and there's lots of people. But what am I doing? I am running a movie about a future event that hasn't happened that's impacting my... So here I am, if you're... And I went and I'm like, I'm thinking my... And I'm catching myself, you know, reg, self-regulating. And that's the self-awareness piece. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's super interesting. So kind of going back here a bit, like how, how did you end up discovering like martial arts and, you know, why did you, I assume you know, stop doing the skiing and make that move into studying martial arts? Yeah. So fun story that, that I never realized this, but uh, somebody uh, on another podcast said, Holy shit, that's your origin story, dude. And I was like, oh, okay, wow, yeah. And I've been like, you know, here I am like doing this for like, I've been teaching now 43 years. And um, so I was around 12, leaving a uh, pickup baseball game at our elementary school. The high school was about 500 yards up the street. And I leave the game and I'm walking alone and I'm like walking back, you know, all, you know, like, wow, that was a fun fun game glad it's over right <laughs> the fear um but uh and and w when i paint that picture i don't want you to think like i was forlorn and you know it wasn't the, you know, i want everyone to understand that like, like that's that's the most noxious fear is the one that that um uh there's a there's a great meme that shows it's it's a bunch of celebrities that committed suicide and it's all their headshots smiling, Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain, all these people. And it's all their headshots. And the meme is like, this is what depression looks like, right? There's a lot of people who, who it is a serious thing, is that self-awareness and understanding the psychology of fear, not the biology of fear, is to me life-changing. It's the most passionate. If you said to me, Tony, you've been teaching hand-to-hand, -hand, you work with tier one special operations, you're like, you're all over the world teaching your if you could only do the seminar, the, the no fear seminar, which is me standing up doing slides, explaining the formula, and you would have to forego all the physical, the ground drills, the gun drills, all the, like that shit's fun and exciting. I would do that in a heartbeat. I would give up all my physical stuff. That's how important I think this is. Didn't realize it back in the eighties or nineties. I knew I would always say it's tantamount but now, you know, we have a maxim, those people who manage their fear manage to fight. You got to manage the fear to get in the fight. And the fight is fill in the blank, whatever the fight is. But um, so the origin story, I leave the game and these two kids, about 16 years old, are uh, walking and they see me. I'm coming off the property of the elementary school and um, um, they... Uh, they go, hey, kid, 
And I'm like, oh, two older kids are like, want to talk to me, right? So I kind of like, yeah, I come over to them and they go, uh, you go to school here? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I do, but I'm going to, and I'm going to Western Laval High School next year. And they're like, oh, you're going to high school next year. Great. So, and they're like, you know, standing in front of me and I'm like looking at them and they're like moving like this. And I'm like looking. And then one of them goes, well, welcome to high school, man. And they grab me and spin me. And one of the guys grabs my arms and pins me behind like this. And this guy goes, he starts to do like, remember the Sugar Leonard Bolo Punch when he fought Duran? I don't know if you remember yeah. the iconic, iconic move, but he does a bolo punch. And of course, this is like decades before the Duran fight. Um, and he does this bolo punch. And there's a there's a phrase when your brain starts to process danger. There's a, a survival learning research phrase called tacky psyche. It's a big, scary word for everything goes into slow motion. And um, and so let me shut this. Um, and uh, as his punch is coming around, I'm like, like struggling ah, like guys my arms are behind me the guy's holding me and i'm anticipating and i'm so scared right now like this is my nightmare i'm getting beaten up by two bigger guys and i and i'm helpless and as this punch comes around i in, in anticipation of having my ribs broken puncturing my lungs and me dying there because that's what i'm like visualizing i'm visualizing a future event that hasn't happened it's freaking me out of course, I didn't have the acronym. I didn't have the system then. I'm like 12 and a half years old. The punch comes in and I scream. Now, I'm in really good shape. I'm on the wrestling team. I play baseball. I play football. Uh, I ski like every weekend. I, I, so I'm in really good shape. And you probably know this, that if you're going to take a shot to the body, you don't go, uh, you go, okay, go ahead, hit me, go ahead. Like if you're doing body impact training, you tighten up like this and go, okay, fuck it, hit me, go. So when he's pulling me, I'm as tight as I could possibly get because I'm pulling against his arms behind me this punch hits me I scream like my sister no <laughs> offense to ladies out there but I scream like my sister screaming ah! and but I scream so loud I, I, I literally thought the shot was gonna break my ribs puncture my lung I wasn't making that up that was my what my fear was my ribs will break puncture my lung I'm gonna die I don't feel it but I scream so loud and with such terror that I felt the guy's uh, grip behind me changed, loosen, because he didn't want to be part of something where somebody got hurt. This was like, this was just like a, a practical joke. Let's, let's punch a kid in, in the stomach. Okay. But I, I screamed so, whack, it hits me. I don't even feel it. <laughs> but get this. This is what we call the three eyes in our self-defense program, instincts, intuition, intelligence. If I combine my instincts and my intuition and I listen to them, that's intelligence. I scream again right away. Like I'm really hurt. So he hits me and I'm, ah, and I go, ah, 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 and I'm doing this and I can feel the guy's grip. Like, almost like, like if I'm like, if you were the guy that hit me, I could feel this guy going, dude, like, like what the, what the hell? And like, you know, and all of a sudden he drops me. I fall to the ground on all fours and I'm going, ah, and I'm not hurt. I'm just acting. And they run and they turn the corner. I can't see them. And I get, I, I get up and I fix my shirt and I'm like, what the fuck was that? And I go home and I tell my dad, he goes, Hey, how was the game? You have fun? I said, you're not going to believe this. I should have beaten up by two guys. I don't have a mark on me. 
Like, <laughs> like my shirt's not even torn. So he, I think he made some joke like, what was it, a pillow fight or something? Like, what do you mean you got beaten up? So I, I tell him the story. A Taekwondo school had just opened up near us. And uh, this is just on the cusp of the, uh, the Bruce Lee craze. They were, you know, Bruce Lee died in 1973. This was like 1972 and a half. And, you know, they were starting to advertise his movies and, and things are. So there's one Taekwondo school I signed up for there and just fell in love with it because it, 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 it kind of um, brought together, it married this obsession with fighting and then this idea, like, if I actually learned to fight, then I would have no fear, which wasn't the case, but that's what I believed. Right. The, the N.O. fear. Yeah, the N.O. fear. The, like, okay, if you... Yeah. Because, listen, a lot of people don't know, like, Mike Tyson used to puke before his fights. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that, no. Okay. But, like, when you saw him walking out with no robe, black shorts on, no socks, black shoes, walking to the ring... Like, would you look at that guy, you know, walking to the ring and go, yeah, that guy's scared shitless. He just threw up. <laughs> like, no. So that's a great, uh, again, a, a metaphor, regardless of what you think of Tyson or not, you know, uh, um, uh, great, great, great fighter. But a lot of people don't realize he had so much fear that his, the, his body's physiology made him throw up before the event. Sir Lawrence Olivier, one of the greatest actors in the world, used to throw up before he go on stage. So people can figure out how to deal with their psychological fear, but it's an interesting thing to recognize that they still had skill and a goal and move towards the danger or their performance or whatever. They just figured out a way to deal with their fear. There's just way more efficient ways to do it than, than puking in a bucket. <laughs> right, right. Um, so how often would you be training? Let's say when you were taking oh Taekwondo. Because, because of the connection to this obsession, you know, people, I, uh, I used to say I was really passionate about stuff. And then I realized, no, I, was, I'm, I'm, I, I am still obsessed with this stuff and trying to understand it and try to help people with it. Um, so I trained every day, you know, and, and I, I would go to class, you know, there was classes Monday to Friday and Saturday. Um, and, and I would train every day. I, I, before I would get out of bed, I had one of those low kind of, uh, it's 1973, 74, 75. My mom being a decorator at that point, we had this low modern bed. I had a Makiwara under my bed. Um, and for those who don't know what it is, it's, you know, something to toughen your knuckles with that, you know, filled with, uh, uh, usually a bag filled with, with beans. And, and I'd pull it out and I'd just slam it. And, I, and, you know, I wanted my knuckles to look like Joe Lewis and Bruce Lee's and, you know, boom. I'd, and I, before I'd even go to the bathroom, I was like already pounding, you know, the, the, the Makiwara. I'd be doing, you know, tactical push-ups, uh, which are now part of our program now, just figuring out different ways to create contractions and striations. I'd be, you know, kicking and punching my way to the bathroom before I even took a leak. Um, just obsessed with it. Uh, so, and I trained, my my garage, sorry, my uh, my basement was a gym. My bags and shit, and you know, it was like a Bruce Lee museum, of course. And and uh, you know, um, so I trained all the time, man. Yeah, yeah. And so you studied Taekwondo first. Like, what did your martial arts progression look like after that? And like, was there one art in particular that you really fell in love with? Um, the so obviously. Uh, uh, very influenced by Bruce Lee. 
so I would like, I'd go down to Chinatown and, you know, do like Wing Chun classes. And, you know, I, cool. I was a voracious reader. And so I, I, I had every, uh, you know, uh, Black Belt Magazine had their, uh, like, a, like they would sell O'Hara Productions, you know, had every single, whoever was the guy in the 60s or 70s, they all had books. So I'd ordered every single book and, and, and honestly, you know, this sounds obnoxious for me to explain this, but I, uh, but look at my career and look what I do now, right? I could look at a book and go, yeah, nah, that won't work. Okay. I like this thing. I just, I just, so I was almost like somebody who can play a bunch of instruments. Um, they just, they just understood they were musical, whether they could read music or not, wasn't the point, but they could just they could they just understand music so i i as i got into it i really just understood um fighting but my perspective or movement related to fighting martial movement but my my i love taekwondo i got into a confrontation when i was 15 that that would have um gone completely differently had i known how to how to strike because of the range it happened in so after that fight which I won, but it was weird. And it's kind of an interesting um, confrontation. But I immediately, as soon as I had my uh, driver's license, uh, um, I found a boxing club and went to boxing. I fucking love boxing still to this day, love boxing. And if you ever, if you ever wonder who would win in a fight between a boxer and a martial artist, if it was, you know, style versus style, um, you don't want to get hit by a boxer. It's like, and, and I say this out of respect. Um, if you get somebody who's been doing martial arts for one year versus a boxer for one year, martial arts for two years versus a boxer for two years, um, I would always put my money on the boxer. And, when and you I'm say martial artist, and when you say martial artist, you mean like taekwondo, karate, yeah, like, like Chun, a traditional anything. classical, yeah. yeah. And and you know that of course has changed now with the advent of you know the popularity of mixed martial arts. Uh, and, and what I'm really talking about is the the uh, the fact that boxers never practice pulling punches, boxers never practice missing, boxers don't have like the the, the the somebody who's in a combat sport actually knows what distance they have to move to to make contact for with a target. So I, I should have clarified. So a good catch. Yeah. Any and like that'll if you got a bunch of listeners on here, like like I don't I don't I don't need any more haters. I've got if I could monetize them, I could re retire. <laughs> um, but um, I just say that for your own safety, that you learning martial arts is wonderful, but there's a big difference between learning martial arts and learning self-defense. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, and I, this wasn't uh, on the list of questions, but now that you mentioned them, I'm curious, like what, why, why do you have so many haters and like, what do you, what do they hate you about? <laughs> I think it's my glasses, man. Um, <laughs> Um, the, uh, I listen, Google famous quotes about people who tell the truth. <laughs> They're all hated. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know? So, uh, um, I've just always said, listen, the, the, I was writing something, working on an article the other day. The martial arts has always gone through cycles. There's the ninja cycle, the Thai boxing cycle, the, the grappling cycle, the MMA cycle, a you know, uh, 
kickboxing phase. And I, like I've been around, again, teaching 43 years, teaching. So then the, 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 the whole 70s was really the Bruce Lee Jeet Kune Do phase. It continued, of course, but then in the 80s, it was the kickboxing, Joe Lewis, Bill Wallace, June Reed, uh, safety chops, the, the, like these phases. And then Thai boxing came to America and there was Thai boxing. And then, then there was a ninjutsu phase. And then I never deviated from, will this work in the street? And, and what happened in 1980, uh, and there's another, uh, I okay. guess, yeah, pseudo origin story is I was teaching this kid. I was, I was, uh, just turned 20 and this kid was 15 and he was a good friend of our, he's the a son of a friend of our families. Uh, and his dad asked me to teach him. And um, I didn't want any money because of the friend of the family. He said, no, I got to pay you because this is my son, Mitch, and I want you to blah, blah, blah. He offers, he ends up paying me 20 bucks to teach him. I'm making $4 and 25 cents an hour, which was minimum wage at the time. And this guy just gave me 20 bucks to show up and teach something that I love. And I was like, holy shit, right? I'm still working for my dad five, six days a week. And um, two things happened there because it's interesting kind of like the incubator period for my, my whole company and system is um, I trained this kid, Mitchell. Three months later, he gets into this fight with this guy, it had just been verbal, emotional abuse until then, it gets physical. And the guy drops Mitchell with a left hook in the, in the, in the fight. And I'm like debriefing Mitch. And I go, dude, why didn't you slip? Why didn't you parry? Why didn't you block? And he goes, well, you know, we had this argument at school. He had tripped me and I got in his face. And, uh, and he goes, yeah. So I grabbed him, slammed him against the locker bank and I was holding my school books. So can you imagine Chase, if you and I were <laughs> gonna box and I said, hold my shirt and put something in your hand. Like how soon till I punch you in the face? <laughs> like if you're holding my shirt and you got books in your hand, like right away. And what I didn't know in 1980 is that when a stimulus gets introduced too quickly, it bypasses conscious cognitive situational awareness and there's a micro flinch. And when our body flinches, it contracts. And if your hand is touching anything, it contracts around that. So if you made me flinch with a bottle in my hand, you know, you know, from looking at my system and studying whatever, we talk about finger splayed outside 90. Yeah. The finger splayed part only happens if your hands are free of contact. If they're touching anything, the cross extensor chain locks up around that. So if you go to like a, like a, a, a electrical college and you're going to touch a wire, they always tell you, if you're ever touching a wire, I don't know if you guys can see this, if you're ever touching a wire, you always touch with the back of your hand, never with the front. Because if the cross extensor reflex locks on there, you're going to get electrocuted. You will not be able to release. So um, when Mitchell's holding like this and he, I, and he felt the punch coming around, even if you wanted to do wax on wax off and Karate Kid wasn't even a movie then, even if, if you wanted to do some sort of martial movement, he couldn't have because physiology overrides physicality. When a stimulus is introduced too quickly, executive function is hijacked. You can't access your cognitive brain. Your reactive brain, your survival system kicks in. And, and you need to recalibrate. That's the actually science. That's the neuroscience behind um, my spear system is understanding the neurobiology of fear, what it does to physiology. But what happened here 
with Mitchell is when he's telling me the story, and I've told this a million times, it was like the God of self-defense chase hit me in the head. And I went, oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. So in 1980, I realized right then and there, I said, shit, nothing is taught from the perspective of a scenario, which means we're leaving out. And of course, I explain this a little bit more elegantly now than in 1980 when I was 20, but we don't teach the emotional psychological tools needed to navigate pre-fight. If you Google, if you Google self-defense in the dictionary, it'll say something to the effect of the physical act of protecting your property or your life. The dictionary assumes the fight has already happened, right? So there's no like pre-fight mentioned. So we don't talk about, you know, our three Ds, detect, diffuse, defend, detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate and the push comes to show defend. By creating a, a bigger landscape that actually represents what we call the timeline of violence, we make people safer because we introduce the idea of, of perception speed and de-escalation. And then if push comes to shove, self-defense, which is also morally, ethically, legally more sound than just saying, here's how you get out of a headlock. Here's how you do a gun disarm. Here's how you kick somebody. So in that moment in 1980, my business was, was born because I wasn't teaching, I was working for my dad. But two magic things happened. One is I, from that moment forward, I looked at Mitchell, I said, are those your books? He's like, yeah. I said, grab them and grab me and show me exactly what happened. And we went through it. The whole class that day was reverse engineered around this scenario. And every class from that day forward, including my class on last Thursday, always has a scenario perspective. So we create relevance. And that is now realistic, right? The other thing that happened there is... Um, um, Mitchell was from a, a successful family. Uh, you can imagine, like the dad says, I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. I don't want your money. And, you know, here's, you know, you're taking it. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting five times what I'm getting paid minimum wage. And then Stevie, Mitch's brother says, how come Steve gets private lessons? You want lessons too? Yeah. We're working out Derek and Richard across the street. What are you guys doing? Literally in a month, I had 30 15 and 16 year old kids. Now I'm only 20 and these are all like well-to-do. They're all hockey players and and football. They're all like I had, so I worked from 1980 to 1985. I worked for my father. I think I stopped working with my dad in 1983. Um, But I worked three years, five, six days a week for my father. And then every night and all weekend, private lessons. And I did that for five years until I opened my first school in 1985 and then did that until 1993. But during the 1980 to 1993, that's when we created the panic attack, the panic attack seminar, the force on force, when I designed high gear, when I created no fear is a cool name now, but it used to just be called cerebral self-defense, the mental edge uh, back then. And uh, uh, so high gear spear was discovered. So all the startle flinch of Mitch in 1980, I didn't go, oh, wow, that's a startle flinch. Oh, look at that. Like I didn't discover that until like 1986-87 where I was filming some drills and I was like watching holy shit what is this startle flinch and as I dug deeper into the physiology of survival it wasn't until years later when when I remembered the fight and I went holy shit 
that's why Mitchell couldn't move when the guy did the left hook. I didn't know that right then. Right. <clears throat> so pretty fascinating. Yeah. And so when you did open up your first school, was it a self-defense focus school or did you open oh, yeah. it up with a martial art and then I know. taught more scenario no, based? It was. I, so, I, okay. Yeah. I, I, I got my old, old sign. I think it's in storage, but so I, back then in the eighties, having an oriental name was cool. Um, I, my name, my original style was called Chu Fen, C-H-U-F-E-N. And the, the Mandarin translation was for that was to punish. <laughs> and, um, and, and the sign on our door said functional self-defense. Okay. Um, and people would sometimes ask me when I was in like, you know, uh, I was in Black Belt Magazine in 1980. And they asked me why functional self-defense, why not self-defense? I said, because a lot of self-defense isn't functional. I wanted there to be an operative word there that people would, would kind of galvanize and go, why is this functional? Why? Because we only do scenario training. We had no belts. We didn't bow. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like uh, people showed up in, in, in t-shirts and shorts or sweats or whatever they wanted. You knew where you were in the system by how you performed and how you managed fear, not because you had a orange belt on or something. Right. Right. I'm sure you probably attracted a certain type of a different type of individual too, who didn't care at all about the belt system and kind of want to get their black belt as fast as possible. Yeah. And listen, we, you, you know, I remember uh, this, this uh, one guy comes in, wants to do private lessons with me only. And we're talking and I'm just explaining the rationale for the system. And he looks at me and he goes, Hey man, I got a confession to make. Like I'm a, I'm a third degree black belt and I run and he names the school. It's a big freaking school in, you know, 10 miles away in another part of Montreal. And he said, I thought you'd treat me differently. If I told you I was an instructor, you wouldn't teach me or if I was black belt. And, but you're like, so, you know, to all my haters out there, he actually said, I'm very down to earth and, and, and transparent. So, so to all my haters, no, but the, uh, <clears throat> and he, I said, man, I appreciate you. Like, but here's a guy again, look at fear. He thought he had to pretend he was something else, but he was coming in to take private. He wanted to, I became very well, very, um, uh, well known as the self-defense psychologist guy. Like even back in the 80s, I remember Dale Floyd was the WK kickboxing champion. I was at Benny Urquidez. A retirement fight and uh um big big and and actually um oh my god i just forgot his name he was coming over fighting from japan he was k1 he ended up winning a ufc oh, oh i can't believe i just forgot his name i'll remember as soon as we get off the uh podcast but he had just come off a loss in japan and he was fighting a flu and this was a televised the first televised fight in vegas on espn or something like that or whatever so it was a big, big deal. And Maurice Smith and, um, and, and, uh, and Maurice was a headliner and Dale comes up to me and he says, Hey, are you Tony Blauer? I go, yeah. And he goes, dude, he introduces me. He says, this guy's the Anthony Robbins of self-defense. Like that's, that's how it was really, it was really funny. Um, and, and, and I was cool with that because my whole thing, my first in, in 1986, when Panther productions released, our videotapes 
the first videotape chase was called cerebral self-defense, the mental edge. That's how important it was. Right. Um, and, um, and it was cool. I mean, I had, I was at the first UFC 1993 in Denver writing ringside for three magazines. I had fighters coming up to me going, man, I got your Panther tapes. That's why I'm here. The whole mindset thing that helped me like a lot of people really, you know, and so you're asking me what type of person that I attract people knew about my passion for the psychology and the mindset. So I, I introduced a, of course you had, you know, the knuckle draggers come in and people just wanted to fight. But for the most people, for the most part, the people that came in there were people who were like you or me were deep, deeper thinkers, introspective. And even though we might not be able to say, look, I'm kind of like afraid to talk about fear. There's an ironic statement, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but that's the joke. I make the joke all the time that fear management needs new management because people don't even want to talk about it. Um, but like, I'll give an example. One of my students, a 17 year old kid, kid Warren, he comes in one day for a private lesson. He goes, Hey coach, um, instead of like doing physical stuff today, uh, uh, can we just talk about some things? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like what? He goes, what role do emotions play during, during fighting? Can we talk about the role of emotions? And I'm like, like I literally said, holy shit, this kid's 17 and he just started with me, right? He ended up becoming like a, a pseudo prodigy, right? Like he just, and, and went on to teach and stuff like that. But yeah. that's the type of people we attract. It was, it was very, I got goosebumps now thinking you're, is like the, your list of questions is, is truly like a memory lane flashback. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, of, of course. Um, and overall, just kind of like, what was the experience like of running that, that first school for you? Um, I loved it. You know, I'd come in every day. I had like this wall of, of, famous people that I'd met from Sugar Ray Robinson, my favorite boxer, to Sugar Ray Leonard, my next favorite boxer, to, you know, Chuck Norris, people that I'd met my journey, uh, you know, and I'd come in before class and I'd like go, holy shit. Because here's the thing, when I was 15 years old, trying to get the splits, sitting on the floor, looking at Bruce Lee magazines, my mom came by and said, hey, are you going into the family business? You're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor what's, what's, what are you doing? And, um, and I said, Oh, mom, I'm going to be like a, a famous martial artist, like Bruce Lee, I'm going to develop my own self defense system. Like literally just said that. And she pat me on the head, Jason goes, Okay, dear, we'll talk about this when you're older. <laughs> right. And, and it's funny, she's like 82 now. And I was talking to her like two weeks ago. Because she comments on all my if you follow me on Facebook, or, or LinkedIn, she's always commenting, right? It's so <laughs> my wife hates when her mom comments on like, I laugh, I, I you know, but she, she calls me after I wrote something. She goes, I don't understand any of your writing or what you do, but I'm really proud of you. And I said, mom, do you remember when I was 15? I was just talking about it. She goes, I remember that. I still don't know what you do, but I'm really proud of you. But I just, I just, I just fucking knew, man. So I yeah. come into the school and it was like, wow. Like, this is what I would do. And, and we'd have, you know, Friday night, like, like students would come by and just spar. And it was like, it was a real, it was a, uh, it was a real community. Of course, I, you know, I hated the business part, like the paying rent and getting, you know, signing up people you didn't want to sign up because you, 
you needed to pay rent and all the that shit but but i loved i loved everything else yeah did that business part like ever did like take away any of your passion for no no it never impacted listen it's the same thing now you know uh i i don't say this to to brag or sound obnoxious but you know my my company has done millions of dollars over the years you know we've We've we sold over thirty thousand high gear suits. I had one order; it took me three years to get. U.S. Army was a seventeen million dollar deal. Uh, after nine eleven, Federal Express hired me. Of all the people in the world, of every trainer in the world, they hired me to design their their uh, program for all their pilots. You know, we've done stuff at the biggest level. All of the negotiation, all of the spreadsheets, all of the I fucking hate that shit to this day. But it doesn't change. The fact that I go, we make the world safer. We make good humans safer. So my uh, the goosebumps just saying that, man. I know what our mission is. I know what the vision is. I know what the goals are. Um, and and part of that is, you know, you you listen. You know, I don't know why this popped in my head because I'm not a huge Elvis fan. But Elvis loved the singing and the music, but he also got fucked over in business, right? Mm -hmm. right i don't know if like you know he got screwed over by his manager and money was stolen from him. he's the, like the most famous guy next to bruce lee and jesus christ is elvis presley and he's still being taken advantage of by scummy business people in other words doesn't matter where you get the the business side of it can be extremely stressful and you got it and and but like had i known the no fear program back then i think my relationship with business would have been different. It was my fear of spreadsheets and accounting and taxes and all of that shit that that made me, you know. I mean, I had an accountant in the '80s that said, "Look, you'll you're never going to make it, man. You should you need to close your school and and um, and find something else to do." And and I fired the guy, and you know, here I am, you know, nineteen. What are we? I was about to say nineteen nine, uh, two thousand twenty one. <laughs> you know, still in business. And, you know, we do big business as a security consulting company and, and our gear and our scenario training. Um, and uh, I mean, the business side, I don't, I mean, only somebody who's obsessed with the business side, I think would ever say, I love the business side. Right. You know, right. My wife is amazing with numbers and stuff like this. So, you know, she'll sit there. I'll go, what are you doing? I'm, I'm doing the um, uh, uh, rec reconciling the stuff on QuickBooks. I'm like, uh, I'm like you know, I fall asleep. My eyes roll back. I go, thank God you're, you're good at that. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I think now is a good place to, to kind of stop here uh, before we go dive too deep into like the spear system and no fear, which can definitely, definitely want to do a part two on. Um, I, would, I would love to, and I'm going to, I've never asked anyone like this but I, I i dig your vibe i dig your energy and i love your question so i'm going to ask you to do a part two not even 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 if your audience doesn't give a shit just to do it part two because uh i i these these questions are are there's an exercise that a, that an army buddy of mine um told me about it's called a look back and he, he said it's very very important to do a look back and see where you came from. And it's something I do with the, the people I mentor now and, the, and, and even all the trainers in my system. 
is we get frustrated with our progress. We get frustrated with our business, with everything. And I go, I want you to look back and I want you to, and I make them do this like, like graphically. And it's amazing when you, all of a sudden you see this and it's almost like, like, like if you, uh, you know, the, uh, the wall charts that you would measure your kid's height and you go, look, you were this tall at one point you go, Oh my God, look how tall I am. It's, we don't do that enough in life. So we're, we're stressing about what happened yesterday and worried about what happened tomorrow. And that's all managing fear. So yeah, a uh, good place to stop, but, uh, but I would love to come back and continue that exercise. Cause this is, this is an organic look back for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, but before we do uh, jump off, I just want to leave or ask you two, I guess, concluding questions. So as is the name of the podcast, the driving force podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life? Fear you know yeah uh, I, and, and that's that's the thing is about i was afraid like 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 i was afraid that i wouldn't realize my dreams right i was afraid of fear and and so chasing that has helped me realize my dreams chasing that created the no fear program right chasing that um allowed me to create realistic and relevant products and services that, I mean, I've, I, I've traveled almost the entire world sharing this and that blows my mind. Uh, so the system of self-defense I created, you, if you even look at the spear, the startle flinch is a fear response. So even the discovery of the finger split outside 90s and then outside 90 and then figuring out how to weaponize that to make people safer is again, the study of fear. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a certain level, it's a pseudo dark answer, fear, but, you know, I, I love helping people. I love, I, you know, I had uh, I used to teach skiing when I was fifteen. The hill that I that I um, that I taught at Mont Gabriel up in the Laurentians had a provision in their insurance because I was under eighteen. But I was such a good coach as a fifteen-year-old. They said, "No, we got to have this kid." I loved. I taught tennis. I taught skiing. I, I was just so this idea of teaching people self-defense and seeing something pop like that a look in their eyes, a look at Tony, you got to go. I look in their eyes um, when they would get it and feel empowered, like, oh my God, I can do something. So it was just that. It was just kind of following, following that dream and remembering, you know, what all I ever wanted to do was teach self-defense. And that's what I do still to this day. Awesome. And then uh, lastly here, maybe anything you'd like to leave the listeners with in regards to managing fear in their day-to-day lives, like nuggets of wisdom or... Words of yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, listen, you know, with respect to that, it's something I said early in the talk, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. And that's a reframe. I want everyone listening to this to get. That means that that if, if, if you looked at the, the, you know, if there was a package and it said, oh, this is courage inside this bottle, and you looked at the ingredients of courage, the number one ingredient would be fear. You can't have courage without fear. If somebody does something that you think is courageous and you say to them, Dude, that was the most courageous thing I've ever seen. You go, now nah, there's nothing. I, I do that every day. 
Well, that doesn't take courage if it's something I like to do, right? So I've got a friend, Andy Stump, uh, you know, he's a pretty famous retired SEAL. Uh, and, and he, but he's also, he, he jumps off of, he's a base jumper. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, if you ask him, are you afraid when you jump? He goes, fuck yeah. Like it's his meticulous ritual that, that prepares him for that. But I also know other people that are adrenaline junkies and they're like, let's go, you know? So they're like the guy I want to learn how to manage fear from. And this is an interesting thing. The guy I want to learn how to manage fear from is somebody who manages fear to do something that's outside my comfort zone. I don't want to learn. I don't, I'm not going to interview a guy who's 21. He's a Red Bull athlete with a death wish, right? Like <laughs> if, he's not, if he's not afraid of shit, what's he teaching me? No, you just do it. You just jump, man. You know, like I'm like, no. So that's the, so, so I want to like share with, you know, any of your listeners, whether you're business, martial arts, parent, you can't be brave. If you're not afraid. The number one ingredient in courage is fear. Um, and, and there's a way to make friends with fear. And that's been my life's work. And, and it like, it's kind of a cute expression, not meant to be cute, but it's this idea of, of, when I get a fear spike, when I, when I, and you need that, that situational awareness piece, when I feel uh, my physiology change, my breathing change, butterflies in my stomach, sweaty palms, or I catch myself like daydreaming, I'm not working. And all of a sudden I'm like, fuck, what the shit, how much time went by? And I realized like, that was me worrying about the future. That's where the, that's where this happens. And I'm going to share a teaser for our next talk. When you experience a fear spike, you immediately, I don't care who you are, you have doubt. And doubt creates hesitation. And hesitation creates procrastination. Now, in this organic timeline, so even somebody who does something heroic goes, shit, is somebody going to do something? Someone's got to run into that burning building. Is there, where's, the, where's the fire department when you need it? And then you hear screaming, you go, fuck, I guess it's me and you go, there was doubt and hesitation when you went, is anyone else going to help? Right, hypothetically. Right. So, so it's critical thinking in that moment where we make a move. And, and so this is kind of heavy thing. It's something I do with business people. When you understand fear management and you understand the formula I created, you suddenly own time management fear management and time management have a relationship because if doubt creates hesitation and hesitation creates fixation in the worst case, I'm sitting there. I go like, Chase, I need this report by tomorrow and it better be good because we could lose this freaking deal. And you're like, fuck. And now I go, all the pressure's on me. And you're sitting there going, I don't fuck this up. Where do I start? I don't even know this. And you're procrastinating because you're afraid to jump into it. You don't know, right? Mm -hmm. If you said, holy dude, you are procrastinating right now. You're in the fear loop and you got out the chart, the cycle behavior chart, and you're like, here, I'm here. And you decode your fears. And then you remember, I can't be brave. I'm not afraid. So I'm going to do this afraid. Right? And you get right. through it. 
And then you get an iteration done in two hours. And then you show it to a buddy and goes, this sucks. Why is it this color? And then you do, you know, version two, and ver but you can't do version two until you do version one. Right. So, yeah. so um, in that example, if that makes sense, uh, in, in the nonviolent world, fear management equals time management and time is the only resource we can't get back. So think about how much time we would save, not producing cortisol, not worrying about the future, not worrying our ass off, right? And um, making that 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 metaphoric shift between I don't want to be a worrier, I want to be a warrior in life. Awesome, I love that. I think it's a great place to to end this one. So Tony, thanks again for for coming on. This was this was great. Thank you, Chase. Where can people go to find you online? Um, I'm, I'm shadow banned on Instagram a lot, but on Instagram <laughs> is where I post a lot. Um, uh, if you, if you're interested in my business and our products, go to blowertraining.com or sorry, Blower training systems. I don't even know my URL. I think, I think my office sent it to you. If you can post it in the notes, yeah. but I think it's blowertrainingsystems.com is our HQ site. And that'll take you to my no fear stuff, my coach Blower stuff. Uh, our high gear and our spear and then of course i'm on linkedin if you're on the business side and and facebook and if you just google tony blower online um those are the main but i i i think i'm, I'm most active on instagram awesome yeah. yeah cool and you can also visit my website chaserosa.com and follow me on instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time